last week, uh, the text that was encouraged in the Revised Common Lectionary, the Gospel text, the one that's in our Lenten guide that we've been using was John chapter 2. And if we'd have been here last week, we would have talked about Jesus and the altercation that he has in the temple. When he walks in uh, with a whip in hand and he begins to turn over the tables of those who are selling in that space and he comes in and he makes a ruckus and he turns everything upside down. We've talked a bit about sacrifices and uh, why they were done and how they were done. We'd have talked a bit about the Jewish people and what that meant for them and the temple. We'd have talked some about Passover, the important time that was taking place, the important celebration that was taking place in the midst of this time that Jesus had this altercation. So this was not just, just any time of people coming to the temple and bringing sacrifices. This time was special. This time was unique. This time was sacred. This time meant more people were around. More was happening as they were coming together to remember and to celebrate the freedom that had been given to their people when Moses led them out of Egypt. We've talked about this common practice that was taking place of, of people setting up booze and selling um, items for sacrifice all around the temple. They were, they were selling animals, they were selling crops, they were selling all kinds of things that you could imagine for some to come and bring sacrifice. They were making it easier for some people to come and purchase something rather than to travel with something or to take on the burden of bringing something in with them. The, the truth is, as we've read this passage, we've made all kinds of things out of it that it actually isn't. Because the passage wasn't about whether or not they were selling in the temple. It wasn't about whether or not they were, they were making objects available for sacrifice and selling those to other people. That, that wasn't actually the issue. Although I've many times heard it taught that that means we can't ever sell anything around the church because that's what that passage is about. It actually wasn't. What the passage was actually about and what, what Jesus was upset about wasn't that they were selling. It was that they'd taken this system that existed to make it easier for people to come and make sacrifices. And they had not, were now using it as a system to manipulate, to take advantage, to make things more difficult. They were mistreating other people rather than helping other people because they had driven up the cost. So people had made these long journeys to come to celebrate freedom, to celebrate liberation, especially the liberation that they'd received from Egypt. They showed up at the temple and they found themselves slaves once again. This time it was to the sellers. This time they were slaves to the ways of the temple. This time they were slaves to their own religious practices. So Jesus burst into the temple this day, overturning tables, carrying a whip in hand. Not because he had any intention of extinguishing or, or getting rid of his Jewish faith. In fact, he was a faithful Jew himself. But Jesus burst in because he had every intention of upsetting the traditions that had come to dominate his faith. He walked into the very center of where they practiced faith. He walked into Jerusalem. He walked into the temple. He walked into the center of their faith practice with the intent to bring substantial change into the ways in which they were worshiping God. And the challenge of the passage, the challenge that we find in our Lenten guide, is that Jesus also desires to come into the center of our faith practices. 
the center of our church, the center of our hearts, and turn things upside down and set straight the way that things are supposed to be, to turn over tables, to get rid of anything that we have put in the way of our worship to Jesus, to get rid of anything that we've moved to the center place and removed Jesus from the throne, from the place of worship that he's supposed to be. Jesus has come in to help us recognize our own idols and destroy them. That passage, the John chapter 2 passage, challenges us with change. That we repent from what has become normal for us. It reminds us that Jesus has come to bring change in us. Jesus has come to bring liberation for us. Jesus has come to bring repentance to us. Now Jesus' work in the temple and what he did in that place connected with the work that Jesus wants to do inside of us, inside our own places of worship, our own temples, walks us along the journey that the Lenten Guide has also guided us into. As we look at at this new way that we've been talking about, the new way of life that Jesus came to model and to teach about, to show people about, to encourage others to live in, we find that this new way has connected to it the way of repentance, which is what we were going to talk about last week. And that leads us directly into the way of Confession. Inside the Lenten Guide that some of you have been reading, the, 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 the book that was written by Ruth Haley Barton. If you'd like a copy of that and don't have one, we still have some around. I can get you a copy of that for your family. Um, but inside that Lenten Guide, it says this. It says, confession is the outward discipline associated with the inner act of repentance. It gives us something concrete to do do with the sins and negative patterns we're naming in God's presence. As we look towards this new way, this new way of living, this this new way that includes following Jesus, this new way that was being added on to the Jewish faith, the way of the Messiah, we've been called to see our sin, to recognize our own idolatries. To know that we have too often chosen to live in ways that are in conflict with the ways of God. And the hope is that once we see, once we recognize, once we know that we will speak confession to God, to others, to ourselves. Part of what makes this so incredibly difficult is that our culture is so adamantly opposed to the idea of confession. It starts with the idea that there's no such thing as sin. We we wrestle with the idea of sin because sin requires that someone has done something wrong. And, and we've, we're trying to live in a world in which we say anything goes. So if anything goes, if there are no real rules, then nothing can actually be wrong. And therefore, no one actually sins. No one actually does anything wrong because nothing can be done wrong because everything's acceptable. Another reality that comes into place is that sin 
requires that someone define what the rules are. And culturally, we've decided that rules are arbitrary. They're different for each person. Each person gets to pick and choose which rules that we follow. So because of that, there can be no clear understanding of what it means to sin because your rules aren't my rules and my rules aren't his rules and his rules aren't her rules. So they're different for everyone. It goes so far that even when we find ourselves in a place that we've done something that might even be assumed by some as questionable, our culture tells us that we're supposed to deny it or hide it. Or maybe even change the rules. We've come to a place of believing that we are supposed to hide the truth until we can't get away with it anymore. But then, even if we start to get caught, we're supposed to justify reasons why we should be excused from the rules. Assuming there actually are any rules. Now, as I thought through this and I, and I prepped for this and I thought about the idea of confession, let, let me say to you what I assume is in many of your minds because it's in mine. There are lots of easy targets for us to point our fingers at. Lots and lots of easy targets to say, well, we see this all over the culture. We see this all over the world. It's all over the news. Uh, people in Hollywood, that's the way they live. People in politics, that's the way they live. So and so and so and so and so and so, that's the way they live. That's their story. However, if we point to those easy targets, I think we miss the crux of the passage. Because for me, it's important for us to recognize that our common responses, you and me, the ways in which we respond, the ways in which the church responds when we see abuses of power, when we see people abandoning the rules, when we see people lying about what they've done wrong, when we see organizations refusing to take responsibility for anything that they've done inappropriate, our own responses reveal our brokenness. Some of us respond in fear when we see these things happen, when we see these stories coming to the surface, when we see people being discovered. We respond in fear and wonder, will they find out about me too? Others of us respond with justification and we say, well, they, and we usually mean the victim when we say they, well, they got what they deserved. So we justify the inappropriate behaviors. Sometimes we respond with a lack of concern or a lack of compassion. Well, why is anyone surprised that this happened? And I suspect that many of us have done or thought exactly those things as we've watched the news stories, as we've watched the easy targets, as we've tried to point fingers. We've had to wrestle with our own thoughts that are also inappropriate, our own thoughts that reveal that we, too, are guilty. We are complicit in these acts that are taking place. We've participated. We don't always see these stories. We don't always read these stories. But you don't have to dig very hard to discover that the sex scandals that are taking place, all the things that we're reading about in Hollywood right now, there are stories right beside it of churches that are walking through exactly the same thing because a pastor believed that he or she was able to do whatever they wanted because they had authority or power.
As we look at stories of abuses of power and we think about politics, we think about D.C., some of you even think about local politics and what happens in this scene. Those stories are all over the news, but the stories that don't get the same publicity, but if we look just a little bit, we'll find that the exact same things are taking place in local churches across the country and across the world. There are pastors day after day and week after week being removed because they have abused the power that they have been given. They have believed that because they're in power, they have the right to do anything they want to anyone they want. We are guilty. And in Hollywood, we've watched as we've seen all of these award shows happening. Whether you like them or you hate them, they've all been talking about this idea that time's up. Well, as I read these passages this week, it became very clear to me that long ago, Jesus said, time's up. In John chapter 2, Jesus said, time is up of religion continuing to hold people in slavery. Time is up. And in John 3, Jesus says, time's up on evil, stealing life from people. Jesus says, I'm done allowing life to be stolen because of evil. Jesus has this conversation that's taking place with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. That's what we walk into the middle of. We don't see the whole thing. We see this this little section of it as the the lectionary encouraged verses 14 to 21. So, So we read what it encouraged, but we walk into the middle of this conversation that's taking place. This conversation in which Jesus brings up this this really odd connection with an Old Testament story. An Old Testament story in which we read about a bronze snake or a bronze serpent. Only time that this story is mentioned in the entire New Testament. And for some reason, this is the story that Jesus chooses. In Numbers chapter 21 is where we find the actual story. We find that that in that place, the Israelites had turned against Moses. They were grumbling against the ways in which Moses was leading them. They were grumbling against God and what God had happening to them. They were turning away from the things of God and from the ways of Moses. So they were punished. There were consequences for their choosing to walk away from God. Poisonous snakes came and began to invade the camp. Doesn't that sound miserable? These poisonous snakes came in and people began to get bitten by the snakes and they were dying because of the snakes that infested their camp that they were living in and things had gotten terrible. So we're told that God sent a remedy for their plight. God gave them a way of rescue. Moses took bronze and he shaped it into the form of a serpent. And he took this serpent and he mounted it up on a pole. And the story says that anyone that would come and would look at that serpent on the pole... Would receive rescue from the snakes. Rescue from the poison. Rescue from this evil that was taking place among them. Rescue from their own sins. That this act of looking at the snake was their confession that they had done wrong. And their confession that they desired to come back to God. And in the story, Jesus compares himself... To this snake on a pole. Now he's not saying that the two are synonymous. He's not saying that they're one and the same. That the same thing is taking place. That it it has to be done over and over and over again. In fact, Jesus is saying something much more bold than that. Jesus is declaring that the world has been plagued by a terrible, deadly disease. 
The world has been invaded by evil. The world has been invaded by sin. And it's far worse than these poisonous snakes. It's far worse than anything they could have done or anything that they were doing among the people. This evil, this sin, this choosing to go in ways different than what God would have is destroying society. It's destroying the world. It's taking the creation that God made and said was good. And it's damaging every piece of it. Jesus says this this deadly disease has come in and people need a remedy. People need a cure. People need rescue. People need the opportunity to be rescued from this disease. Much like poisonous snakes that have plagued them. But instead of a bronze snake, Jesus says... God is going to do something even more bold, even more convincing, even more sacrificial. God's going to do something much more loving than raising up a bronze serpent on a pole. God chose to become the cure. God chose to become a man. God chose to come to earth. God chose to be raised up on a pole himself, to be hung on a cross. God chose Death. And it's important that we understand that piece of it. Otherwise, we could begin to think that that this whole cross thing was some messy political mistake that ended up with Jesus on the cross. But, But no, God chose this. Jesus chose this action. This was no punishment on some random soul. God chose to be the rescue. To all of us who are losing to the plague of evil. The plague of sin. John chapter 3 verse 16. A lot of you could quote it. You can't quote my version because it reads a little differently. I know that. But that makes us listen better. So let me read to you John 16, John 3, 16 and 17. It says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish But have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. But to save the world through him. But like we saw with the Israelites. Like we see in in Numbers chapter 21. There was a responsibility that was placed on those people who needed healing. Evil wasn't automatically eradicated. It wasn't automatically taken care of. It wasn't automatically healed. Those people had to be involved in the process. In Numbers chapter 21, we find that they had to come and they had to look upon the bronze serpent. The creation of the, ser- of the serpent alone didn't just, just cover it all up. They had to become partners with God. And Jesus says that the same has happened. That as, that as God takes his place on the pole... That we have to come and look. Look upon Jesus on the cross. Look upon this man God hung on the cross. The text says that we have to believe. We have to trust. We have to confess our need for healing. We have to acknowledge our desire for rescue. And then in the act of believing... We find our way towards new life. A literal new way of living. Because in the process of this, in the process of looking upon Jesus, of looking upon the cross, we make a commitment. 
to walk in the way of rescue, to walk in the way of freedom, to walk in the way of Jesus. Now, John 3, 16 and 17, isn't it a great verse? How many times have we talked about it as the gospel in a nutshell? Clearly an evangelistic passage. Clearly we can use this in great ways to help people who are still far from God find their way towards Christ. Clearly this passage helps paint the picture of what that means, of what that looks like. That that Jesus is calling those people who are still far from God to come and believe, to come and follow him. And yet, if we read the passage in context, if we remember that that this, this verse we want to pull out and call the gospel in a nutshell, was actually a conversation that was taking place between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus and a man who wanted to understand. Jesus and a man who was trying to find his way there. Jesus and a man who was looking, who was pursuing the ways of God, who was trying to figure out what did it mean to live in his Jewish faith more faithfully, understanding that this Jesus was quite likely the Messiah that had been promised to his ancestors long ago. This is not someone far from God. This is someone much more like us. And it's a reminder that while John 3.16 is evangelical, while it is about calling the lost to come and follow Jesus, it is also about calling those of us who have been walking with Jesus to come back to the cross, to look upon the cross, to believe and confess. This passage is just as much, if not more, for the church For those of us who are following Jesus. Jesus paints a picture in this passage of saying that there are there are two ways of living life. There is the way of the culture. There is the way of the world. There is the way of sin. There is the way of evil. There's the way of death. And this way is fully available. Each and every one of us have the opportunity, the right to choose evil over Jesus. And, and evil, I know, it sounds like such a, such a difficult word because so many of us can go, yeah, but I, I, I don't have the, the choice between evil and Jesus because I'm not evil. I'm, I'm good. I don't need Jesus. And, and the scriptures give us the understanding of, no, 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 there, there's only two ways. There is the way of Jesus and there is any other way. And any other way in the scriptures is defined as evil. Because what God has intended is good. What God has intended is life. And when we choose something other, we choose to walk in ways that are in conflict with Jesus. So option one is to choose to walk in conflict with Jesus. To continue to destroy the creation that God has called good. And then the other option that Jesus paints is that we have the chance to choose to believe, to choose Jesus, to choose life, to choose a new way. And there is no third option. It is Jesus or not Jesus. And the scriptures say it is Jesus or sin. I don't stretch this too far and say that that means those of us that follow Jesus never sin. Not where I'm going, not what I'm saying, didn't say anything of the sort. 
I do a whole lot of it myself. Which is why in choosing the way of Jesus, we find ourselves at this conversation of repentance and confession once again. Because this is not only something that belongs to those who haven't yet chosen to follow Jesus. We as the church, both corporately and as individuals that make up this body, have to come to the place of deciding, will we choose to continue to walk with the culture or will we choose a new way? And the really hard thing, my guess is, while there are people outside the church that want to want to argue a third way, a third way that says, I didn't choose evil, I'm not choosing Jesus, I'm going to choose to be good somewhere in between. Right? You've heard that? In much the same way, I think many of us in the church more often than not come to the place of saying, I'm going to choose Jesus, but I want Jesus and. I want Jesus and some of the other. I want Jesus and my own way. I want Jesus and my own desires. I want Jesus, but I want to get to hang on to these parts of, of the other way of life that I still like. That I'm still intrigued by or interested in. You see, many of us, as we choose Jesus, we long for the idea of life over death. We long for the idea of peace over strife. We long for joy over pain, but we don't understand that the new way also demands the way of repentance and the way of confession. It demands that we come to the place that in our Lenten guide, Barton says, true confession is this. True confession requires us to name our sin out loud to ourselves, to God, And the persons we've injured or offended. This new way asks that you and I look upon Jesus on the pole. Jesus on the cross. This new way asks that we believe. Do we believe in such a significant way that life for us becomes something completely different than it was before we had Jesus? Because that's the call of the cross, that's the call of the Savior. That's the calling of a new way. This morning, we want to do something different than we typically do. We were going to do this last week, but it actually fits better this week. I kind of like the idea. We're going to move into a couple songs of of worship together, of reverence and of celebration together. And in our transitioning into that place, we also want to offer you an opportunity. We want to offer you an opportunity to come and take the Lord's Supper, to come and take symbols that represent the body that has been broken for us, the blood that has been shed on our behalf. There are two stations that are up here, and and in each is a representation of the body and a representation of the blood. The the, the bread, the wafers, the the crackers that are there are gluten-free. If you need to know that, it's that, and it's juice, and you are welcome to come and take those. Whether or not you're a part of Valley, we want you to know that you are welcome at the Lord's table. 
But as you come this morning, I also want you to understand that you come so not just in remembering, not just in participating in a practice that we do once a month, but as you come, you come as a way of making your confession public. Your confession that in your life, both in the past and today, there is sin that needs to be defeated. You have chosen, we have chosen evil. We have chosen to live lives that are in conflict with the lives that Jesus has called us to. So as we come, and we invite you to come, there's not not going to be any order or any rhythm to this. If you desire to come, feel free to come and do so. Take the body, take the blood, take them here, take them back to your seat. You're going to take them on your own. We're not even going to do them all together this time. We're going to let each of you kind of do this today on your own. But we encourage you to come and take the body and the blood during these next two songs. And again, make them your public act of confession. Confession of the sin in your life. Confession that you need rescue. You need healing. You need the new life that is promised by the man, God, who came and hung on a cross on our behalf. We need to recognize the sin in our life and we need to speak those aloud To God, to ourselves, and sometimes to others whom we have wronged in some way. But take this time. Take this time of worship. Take this time of reflection. Take this time to ponder what it is that Christ is calling you to. Worship with us. And if you desire, come and take the supper. Let me pray for you as we transition into this. Lord Jesus, reveal to us the places in our lives where we have continued to choose evil over you. Where we have continued to choose sin instead of you. Where we have continued to choose to run away from you rather than towards you. God, help us recognize that the call to repentance, that the call to confession is not just a call for those people whom we might call lost. But that it is also a continual call to the church. That we, too, need to repent of the idols that we have put in your place. God, give us the courage to sacrifice those idols at the foot of the cross and to choose to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.